Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Tuesday, April 6th, and this is episode 88. A great episode for you folks today. I'm going to be joined by Peter Gonzalez to break down episode 3 of the Falcon and Winter Soldier streaming on Disney+. Plus. It is called The Power Broker. My favorite episode of the series so far, and I think my favorite episode of anything that's ever come out on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I like it that much. I'm hyping it up. A great pod. Stay tuned. We're going to dive right into it right now. Let's ride. All right, welcome back to the Pineapple Couch. This is episode 88. I'm going to be joined by Peter Gonzalez to break down Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode three, that is titled The Power Broker. And so I will introduce the man of the hour, Peter Gonzalez. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing great. I think this episode is the one I'm most excited to talk about so far when it comes to this show. Oh, mm-hmm. I agree. And what I will, I'll just tease the audience before we get into our full breakdown. I, I think I texted you that that was peak Disney Plus for me because that was the most marvel movie like i guess episode that we've seen in, out of obviously wandavision and the series so far and even to an extent mandalorian to me i just felt like the introduction of zemo and everything they have going on in the show i really felt the full like just power of disney plus is that ridiculous or what do you think no i feel like i had that same reaction too i feel like it just puts so much in such a concise way checks so many boxes and again, it didn't feel rushed. It didn't feel overstuffed. It just felt the pacing was so good. And the level of fight scenes we had in this episode were very up there with Marvel Cinema, not just Disney+. Plus. So I think, again, this is showing that the Disney Plus experiment is fully working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's basically what's so cool about this is um, obviously when you look through the history of the MCU, the 23 or 24 movies that there have been, the Cap trilogy really does stand out in just how great it is and i mean i like all of them i'm a sucker for iron man 3 but i will say that i think the cap trilogy is probably the the best out of all the mcu films um and this really just feels like movies four and five i guess of captain america don't you think yeah 100 percent. i thought it was such a great connection of character and while at the same time almost being very it gave me Ragnarok feels in the sense mm-hmm. that it rebooted a couple characters in a way that ma- it was fresh and made sense and really opened up what's coming next for them. And more comic accurate, which is very cool to see. Um, so let's just get right into this episode. The opening, it's kind of like a, a throwback to WandaVision in a way, except this commercial isn't happening in a fake reality. This is happening in the real MCU, which I guess is a fake reality, but for the purposes of this podcast, it's real to us. Um, it's going to be a commercial for the Global Repatriation Council, the GRC. Their whole thing is to help you get back to the way things were, reset, restore, rebuild. So what's interesting about this is they set, they have this commercial, and it is very, like, I guess the music is soft and comforting, wouldn't you say, Peter? And how much that is, like different than the next scene we get of the GRC with John Walker and Battlestar showing up to the the compound or the house where the dude who let the Flag Smashers stay there for the night and fed them chicken liver or some shit. Um, and so 
we get John Walker rolling up with them, and we immediately see, one, not only a difference to what the GRC was saying they are about, and another difference of what him and Captain America, Steve, he goes, don't give them a second to delete, shred, or breathe. And so he's looking for Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers. And um, uh, like I just mentioned, this is the dude who let them stay there. And he does not get the respect, Peter, that he d- believes that he should. What do you think about this whole scene? It just it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And it gave me callbacks to First Avenger with, I can't remember the guy's name, the one who wanted to be Captain America. Mm-hmm. The guy with, that was super egotistical and arrogant that was like, it gave we'll me those vibes. Chet. We'll call yeah, him Chet. Okay. So it basically gave me the vibes of Chet. <laughs> uh, like you know, especially he says, "Do you know who I am?" It's like that's not who Steve was. Like that's mm-hmm. just not that's not who any of the heroes are. It's like you don't go in with that. That's very. It was also very DC, you know, DC Batman type vibe. Oh, like, yeah. Do you know who I am? It's like this is the MCU. There's no place for that here. Like yeah. pinning a guy against the wall, steps back, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm with you on there. So you obviously see. I I'll ask you this question: Do we think we're seeing with this kind of like break? in John Walker, is this his true personality or is that like him being self-conscious about all this, or is this maybe a side effect of him possibly of taking some sort of super soldier serum? Maybe it's hand in hand, the two, maybe it's the mm-hmm. super soldier serum amplifying that part of himself, because we do see more about more of this towards the end of the episode where again, you see that he's not this clean-cut guy that we thought we were introduced to when he was in the locker room, you know, reminiscing mm-hmm. about his high school. It's like, no, there's this guy's got an edge to him that's not a great edge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, one thing I saw, I forget what podcast I listened to or YouTube I saw it in, but it was basically, it was comparing Steve and John Walker, and it, would say, it was about how Cap sometimes would do the wrong things for the right reasons. Right. Like you think about what he did with Bucky and like what he did with uh, in Winter Soldier with the Hydra involving shield and all the stuff he did when he was on the run. When you think with John Walker, he's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Right things for the wrong reasons. It's just it's just so dynamically exposed. And I know that makes no sense, but I was just thinking about that. Let's go to the next thing Um, really quickly on Battlestar as they're leaving this uh, sort of like house or whatever. He seems to be somewhat sympathetic to Carly and the Flag Smashers, how they're helping people getting vaccines and food for people who need it. Do you think that that is a hint that maybe Battlestar is a much better person than John Walker? Because I feel like we've gotten a few hints of that. You know, as you say that, it kind of makes me think that yes. And it kind of calls a parallel between um, the Flag Smashers and there is a scene later in the episode we'll talk about where Carly does something similar to the lines that John was crossing. So it's and she her her guy that's with her whose name I cannot remember. Yeah. He also has a similar type of vibe to what you just said. So I think there is that parallel that's currently running where these people that are doing things that they think are good are starting to get a little corrupted. Mm-hmm. The lines are starting to blur, and that is so spot on for Captain America. That is what Steve always had to wrestle with, and he always pretty much made the right decision, and that's what made him Captain America. Um, So let's wrap up this scene. Battlestar, I think Battlestar is going to stick around a lot and be a hero in the future of the MCU from what I've seen so far. That's why I brought that up. But they are basically, Walker and Battlestar are at a 
dead end. They can't find anything. And so Walker says, so we bet on someone with a better hand, which means they're going to try and figure out what Bucky and Sam are up to and follow them and try and figure it out that way. Now, let's go to Berlin, Germany, where we're going to go to Zemo's prison. Bucky and Sam are rolling up, and Bucky sells, uh, tells Sam, yo, I'm going in alone. You're an Avenger. He hates Avengers. And so Bucky enters Zemo's cell, and Zemo begins to recite the code words that used to control Bucky from Winter Soldier. Um, and it's just such a great way for Zemo to start out because he's just so manipulative. And we'll get into how much I like Zemo. But um, So Bucky quickly tells him, though, that doesn't work anymore. And Zemo, with a great line, he says, I know, but I just wanted to see how the new you reacts to the old words. And then he looks at Bucky for a bit and says, something is still in there. On that line, Peter, do you think there's part of the Winter Soldier still in Bucky? Or is that just Zemo messing with him? You know, I think that there is that part of him that is might still be in there. Based on the fact that he's going so far to try to right his wrongs, I think there is something inside of him that is still... Which is why he also got he also got mad at Sam in the previous episode and said, you know, if Steve was wrong about you, maybe he wasn't right about me. So I think there is something underneath the surface that he does still have that Winter Soldier in him. Mm-hmm. A lot of self-doubt that he could be a good person because maybe it's not even that there maybe there is no part of like the mind control Winter Soldier still left in him. But it's maybe he just thinks there is and needs to prove to himself that he can be a good person. I like that. Um So then we see Zemo apologize to Bucky and he basically says it was never personal and that Bucky was just a means to a necessary end of how he wanted to break up the Avengers. Um, And then we Bucky cuts right to the chase and tells Zemo that someone recreated the super soldier serum and I need to find out who Zemo knows where to begin. And um, we get this unbelievable montage of Bucky basically describing to Sam um, how someone could break Zemo out of that prison while we are watching him actually break Zemo out of that prison. What did you think about that whole thing? Walk us through it, Peter. I really enjoyed it because it was, he just, he's like, let me just tell you a hypothetical and just walks him through step by step the ways that this is going to happen. And I think it just speaks to that kind of the personality that Bucky has. Like, it's just, it fit his personality so well and really mm-hmm. solidified his character being separate from Sam. And where I think the show is really doing is showing they're both a side of Steve. They're both mm-hmm. Captain America and Steve Rogers. The two of them together make that up. So the way he was able to sort of blur the lines in order to get him out of prison. And he even tells him when Zemo ends up showing up, since he's been broken out, and he just mm-hmm. walks right in that, you know, Steve went out on the line for him. And now he needs Sam to do the same. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, another thing, I like everything you just said, and another thing that kind of jumped out at me from this scene, and then if you also look back and think about the comics, is this episode, they do tease that Bucky may want to be Captain America, but there's also this element of what Bucky is doing for Sam, especially with this Zemo thing, is he is doing the dirty work that Captain America can't do. And that's what Bucky's role as Captain America's sidekick. If you look back at the comics, he does a lot of stuff like that. There are certain situations that Steve Rogers, Captain America, cannot do. He cannot get caught for. He cannot be associated with it. Like Sam, if he wants to be Captain America, cannot be linked to breaking. Like he cannot be the one who breaks Zemo out of prison. Bucky can do the dirty work because he has that reputation. What do you think about that? 
if you watch this podcast, you're able to see my brain exploding as you just said that. If you're listening, <laughs> you can't really tell that, but like my my face just said brain explosion because like that is such yes, I mean that totally. I don't. I'm at a loss for words because that's so good go. and that makes so much sense. That literally again speaks to he is looking out for him, even though you know he wasn't answering his calls at the beginning of the series. Like you know, he's still looking out for him in that way. And I and again, it speaks to how they're forced to sort of come together because they don't have Steve, which was their uniting piece. It's now the two of them, and I I think that I think it's going to be cool to see. I feel like to go along with that. By the end of the season, I feel like Sam's going to do something to save Bucky in a sense as well. Mm-hmm. I just I do expect at the end of the season for that bond to be obviously a lot tighter than it was at the start of the show. And this is uh, this happens later in the episode, but it is obvious that they're not the two. They're not great at fighting together. We saw this when they got their butts kicked by the flag smashers on top of those trucks. You see it when they're not really moving in the right way when they're being shot at. That is something that is very important that they need to be able to work together. And so I think as their personal relationship grows and they realize that they do need each other and they are kind of like meant to not meant to be together, but just it makes sense. They are a good duo. And so I think um, it'll be really important to see how that works out. And I like how you pointed out that they don't fight well together because Marvel is so good about those details that like. Other, I think other series, other shows would overlook that they don't fight well yet. As you'll see towards the end of the episode, there definitely there is that still that miscommunication that exists because they're not in sync yet. And I mm-hmm. think that's gonna. I think that just that thing that's so natural like that really pays off in the storytelling by the time we get to episode six, which is wild that we're halfway through the season already. I know it's sad. I'm sad. I love it so much. But uh, okay, so Zemo comes out. Obviously, Bucky had uh, freed him. And so we have basically we're in Zemo's garage and it's full of like vintage, super cool cars, gold, like guns and pistols. And we do see the purple mask from the comic books, which is huge for Zemo's character. And we kind of learn about Zemo that he's been hunting super soldiers for years, even before this whole Bucky thing. It is something that he is, has a personal vendetta about these super soldiers. And then we go to the airport and we start to learn some more about Zemo. He is rich and he is a baron. Baron Zemo, like he is in the comic books. Um, he's also wearing a badass coat that just makes him look so cool. And he has a private jet and a butler, and he is going to take them on that jet to Madripoor, which is where they're going to get started looking for the super soldier serum information. What did you think about that reveal of Zemo being a baron and being maybe like some sort of nobility, very wealthy? Because that's comic book accurate, but not what we saw in uh, Civil War. I am um, similar to how I said at the beginning of the podcast. I think this episode really does serve that Ragnarok kind of reboot because, again, Zemo, we didn't really know a lot about him other than he was determined to destroy the Avengers. He killed people. He hated Bucky. Like, there were all these things, but that was it. But now we are getting the depth that he was a Baron until everything that happened in Age of Ultron happened. And mm-hmm. we know that he, you know, he's got the plane, he's got the cars, he's got money, he's got connections that he knows different things so i think it works to give us this character that existed but wasn't necessarily important to the mcu as a whole and now he is coming in a much stronger fashion because i think that he is going to play i potentially could see him being if we are going that he's going to be the villainous route maybe being the bad in in black panther 2 that could be 
that I would love to see Zemo get explored more and flesh his character out more because he's one of the coolest villains in the comics. And I'll say this. I texted you about this over the weekend that I don't know if this is bad. I think Zemo is like my favorite character. It hit. We'll get to the, when he's in the club and he does his little dance. That's hilarious. But I just thought that the way he came out in this episode was such a force. He really just captivated the screen. And it's insane to be able to do that when you're on stage with Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie, who, by the way, just continue to kill it in this. It is unbelievable how great they are. Um, but yeah, so I'm all in on Zemo. Uh, and we'll get to him more a little later, but let's quickly check in on Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers. We see her saying goodbye to Donya Madani, who was um, some sort of like mother figure to her. Or is that what you got from it? I feel, from what I understood, I feel like she ran like an orphanage, maybe, or like okay. something for like when they were kids. And then she ultimately she had tuberculosis, which was kind of the motivation for the Flag Smashers, Carly at least, to join the Flag Smashers. I believe. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah, and we- from it. And so we see her pass away, and Carly says she's sorry because we find out that she had been trying to get information or get medicine to help treat her, and she was unable to. We'll get to a little of that later. Um, so let's go. We're in Madripoor now. Sam is dressed up as the Smiling Tiger, who is um, basically a con man criminal who operates in Madripoor. And Bucky is acting fully like he is the Winter Soldier under Zemo's control. And they are picked up and escorted into Lowtown, and the power broker is watching. That graffiti can be seen on a building as they're going um, into Lowtown and Madripoor, obviously. And so that uh, threat is lurking throughout this episode. And they go into a bar, and Zemo immediately starts to scare people by refer- like talking to Bucky as the Winter Soldier. And we see how feared Bucky is and like revered, and he terrifies people because... Peter, is he like probably in in this version of the MCU? Like, let's say this MCU, this world, like, let's say that this is like the world we're living in. Is he like the gnarliest human ever? Like in I, terms of like, like an assassin, like in the history of the world, maybe? Is that like a, an exaggeration? No, I think that's totally the vibe that I got the way that he's just this killing machine that's like, you know, here and he's under. He belongs to Zemo, and so Zemo's just, you know, got him killing. But he's killed before because he killed for Hydra, and he's just mm-hmm. this. And the fact that he's so old, too, I feel like that plays a lot role into it. And, I mean, I think that's why he is basically this revered figure of, like, we don't mess with them. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's a, but again, it's like he's this, at least right now, the Winter Soldier that he's playing is this soulless, mm-hmm. just machine that's going out there. Yeah, and so Zemo is using that reputation that the Winter Soldier has to his advantage to kind of manipulate the situation. He goes to the bartender. They say they want to speak to Selby. Um, Falcon ends up having to take a shot, which some sort of liquor and snake guts. Credit to him. I would never be able to do that. I, ugh, That looked terrible, so shout out to my guy Falcon because I don't know who could do that. Um, and But that basically proves that he is the Smiling Tiger. And then some dude comes up to Zemo and tells him he isn't welcome here and Power Broker doesn't want him here. And then we see people start to approach them and Zemo unleashes Bucky and he goes full on Winter Soldier and he beats the shit out of so many people. And then in a very important part, Zemo looks at Sam and says, didn't take him long to fall back into form. What did you think about that whole that line specifically. 
that was it was it kind of confirmed my suspicions you know that he does have that in him that he is a the way he was able to just to do it but at the same time it was also kind of sad that he was able to slip in so quickly because even when sam asked him are you good you know he kind of just nodded to him that he was okay but like i think that's gonna that's starting to crack at him mm-hmm. i think I mean, as we go forward which is so sad because they they do such a great job of portraying these characters that you can tell how they're how they're feeling the characters are feeling through without saying anything mm-hmm Exactly. And so after all that, Selby will, like the bartender tells them that Selby will see them now. And we do see in the bar um, somebody wearing a hood. And that is Sharon Carter keeping tabs on Bucky, Falcon, and Zemo. We knew she was going to show up in the show. And there she is. We'll get to her, obviously, a lot I'm more later. I'm glad you caught that because I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew you would catch it, but I was like, is he going to mention it or is he not going to mention it yet? And so, I mean, I knew you would catch it because I totally caught it too. And I was like, I was like jumping in my seat and it, it was just, I was ready. Yeah. I, I loved that. Um, well, that's what happens when you watch these shows like six or seven times in three days, you just kind of turn into that's your life. Um, so we, uh, they want info on the super ser- soldier serum. That is why they're talking to Selby here in Madripoor. And during all this, everything's going well. And Sam's phone rings and it blows their cover because it's his sister calling him and she calls him Sam. And then basically Selby says, kill them. But right after that happens, Sharon snipes, so Selby through a window and then Zemo, Sam and Bucky have to escape basically as a John Wick type bounty is put on them and they're running through Madripoor and then eventually Sharon finds them. She's really pissed off at Bucky and she's really pissed off that she is still basically not allowed back in the USA. She did not get a pardon and she's been living in Madripoor, but we find out she's running some sort of art gallery in uptown Madripoor, Hightown Madripoor, and that's where they go. I went over that pretty quickly. Peter, what was your impression of here's Sharon Carter for the first time, like other than just in the shadows? What'd you think of that? Real quick, though, I do want to touch on that. There is the scene where Zemo is going to give Selby the Winter Soldier. Oh, yeah. And he just he treats him like he's just like this doll or whatever, like he's touching his face and just like like he's this non-human entity. And it's like because Bucky is present and alive, Bucky is obviously hearing these things. And, you know, feeling it all. So I'm curious if that's going to play a role going forward to his kind of balancing act with everything. And I was, one thing I wasn't unsure of, and I even looked online, did Sharon, was she the one that killed Selby? I am led to believe that that was Sharon. I think it was That's what I was thinking, so yeah. I just wasn't, I didn't see that it was like confirmed anywhere. So I was like curious, but that's the vibe I got. I was, it was interesting how Sharon just sort of shows up and she's a get, but she's a lot more hardened. Like in that first scene right away, she's not thrilled to see any of them. And it's like this, the last time we saw Sharon, you know, she was saying goodbye, giving them the shield and, you know, giving them the wings. So it was very interesting to kind of see mm-hmm. that entrance from her. Yeah. And I think what, at least what I picked up from Sharon, it seems like she wasn't blipped. And so she's been basically, it's been a lot longer for her than it has been for Bucky or Sam since they've seen each other, which has also allowed her to build up her reputation in Madripoor, potentially. Potentially, 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 because she runs an art gallery that has just tons of like real like Van Gogh paintings and all this stuff. Like, I don't know much about art, but seemed like some legit stuff, right? No, totally. And then even they make a joke about it, how Sam, how Sam doesn't feel like he Sam's like, this isn't real. And they're all just making fun of him. And then he like Googles it. And it's like the legit painting that Mm -hmm. was on display. So it's a lot bigger. It's a bigger deal than they all expected. Yeah, and so they basically, they want, they're asking Sharon, like, they want information about the power broker, Nagel, they want to figure out the super soldier serum, 
And weirdly, Sharon is like, you shouldn't be looking into this, like, blah, blah, blah. It's not safe, all this stuff. Which, if you think about it, is a very weird thing to say to Sam, the Winter Soldier, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and Zemo. Like, I don't know. They should be worried about their safety. That's a pretty big statement, I think, to make. Um, And so I'm starting to get some sketchier vibes from Sharon. We'll get to that in a little, but... An agreement is made between Falcon and Sharon, like, hey, if you can get us this information, I will get you a pardon. And whether or not Sharon really believes that Falcon can do that or wants that, because we don't know about her motives, remains to be seen. But she does help and get that information. And she has basically like some sort of art show where she has people and she eventually gets the information on where Dr. Nagel is. Peter, question for you. Was that whole show a ruse? And she already knew all that is like let's just go right into it is sharon the power broker there is some sketchy vibes going on with sharon it like she knows exactly where everything is it's just it just seems too convenient yeah when she got the information that quickly that was a red flag but when she was talking about how disillusioned she was with the whole shield with cap again these things these statements she was making were very not what I expected from, you know, from Mm -hmm. Carter's niece, you know, who built S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, this was, and I think, again, this is, it'd be so rad, honestly, if they do make Sharon the power broker, because it's coming out of nowhere, it's, um, it's such a, she was such an underused character, Mm -hmm. she was just, you know, a psychic, similar to how a lot of the female characters were at some point, until, you know, Wasp became Wasp, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Captain Marvel, Black Widow now, WandaVision, um, even Pepper got her moment too in oh, yeah. three mm-hmm. and then and towards the end of Endgame. So I think that it's an interesting way that they've again been able to use the blip as a way to reinforce new storylines for these characters that we were like so specific of who they were and now it's like not at all. It's complete 180. So I think I would love to believe that she's the power broker. I think WandaVision has taught me to be more cautious yeah. <laughs> with my hopes and um, what I want out of the shows, but it just there's too many, but again with Wandavision there were so many things that pointed to so many things that yep. went nowhere. So you know I would, I would like to believe that she is the power broker based on the fact that she was able to find them so quickly, that she wasn't thrilled to see them. I think because in a sense if she is the one that killed Selby, that activated the bounty on them, which would serve her need to get rid of them. Because Mm -hmm. at the end, well, I won't say that yet, but we'll get to that and see. Yeah. Well, I think one of three things is true. One of three things has to be true. Either she is the power broker, she is working for the power broker, or she is being forced to work for the power broker. Because there is too much smoke for there to not be a fire there. There's there's something going on. And let's we'll go and then we'll get to the other thing. Um. So they go to this shipyard and they find Nagel. He's in some sort of like a shipping container that looks empty. And they go deeper in, and we find out about Nate. Um, Nagel is that pre-blip he was working on a super soldier serum for the CIA, right? And Sharon was CIA. Yep. That is huge. I'm glad you said that. And then post-blip he comes back and he finds out that they basically aren't doing that anymore and he is recruited by the power broker to up restart this project here in Madripoor where Sharon happens to be. Is that, am I correct with that? Yes. Yep. Okay. 100%. And so things we learn about Nagel is one, he's 
he's stupidly confident when he's talking to Bucky, Sam, and Zemo. Like, I don't know what that dude thought was going to happen, but he ran his mouth. Like, I that was shocking, seeing that dude talk back to them. Um, but we find out about a serum that it doesn't make a physical appearance change. Like, Caps made him super buff. Like, Hulk's made him green, abomination, and et cetera. Um, so... That's why Carly Morgenthau and the rest of the Flag Smashers look like relatively normal people. Um, and while all this is going on, Peter, Sharon holds off like, what, 20, 25 bounty hunters in a full like John Wick style. She is. Here's another reason why she might be the power broker. Holy shit. That was insane. She's like throwing knives at people. She all of a sudden was just like a killer assassin. Like, I know she was badass in the other movies, but this seems to be like a new level, right? Oh, yeah. 100 percent, because. She had fought, you know, the Winter Soldier a little bit with Natasha in um, Civil War, correct? Was that that's the one? I think there it was, was in uh, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. I get him confused, too. Cause in one of them, she does have that. Yeah. So she kind of, you know, there was this, you know, hinting that she did have some sort oh, of Oh, actually, skill. it's Civil War. I think you're right. So there was hints at the, at the fact that she had, you know, the, to, this fighting skill to back it up. But this was just, it was up there for Marvel. Like, this fight scene was legit. There was... And the fact that she took them all out by herself. Like, we haven't seen a character do something like this. Maybe Natasha did a couple of times. Mm -hmm. But, like, this was such a solidified moment of introduction. Like, this is not the same Sharon Carter, theoretically, either. Because she took them, she shot a couple of them, like, point blank. And it was very, I thought it was a dope scene, but very unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so, as Sharon can't really hold them off any longer, she runs down in. And right as she runs down, Zemo kills Nagel. Uh, because obviously Zemo does not like the super soldier serum <laughs> process at all. And we see Sharon Carter say, doesn't she say, like, what did you do when she sees him dead? That was an interesting line that she said. Because it was like, she, he, yeah, if it, it beats the power broker theories. And it could also, like, I guess, not beat them if, it's, if you want to go the route that she's not the power broker. But, like... Yeah. Those of us that choose to believe that she's the power broker, will she will he, she would be upset that he killed the guy that is mm-hmm. basically recreating this stuff. But, yeah, it, you got to, though, question, like, she knows Zemo. Well, she did take Zemo's gun away, and he was able to find that gun to do it. So maybe that, that kind of solidifies the power broker thing, I guess, a little more for me. Um, and so right after all of this, dude, this dude, one of the bounty hunters, shoots a rocket launcher at the crate. One of the gnarliest rocket launchers I can remember. <laughs> Holy crap. Um, and so Sam, Bucky and Sharon, they all survive and they're holding off the attacks. Um, and this is where I mentioned, you kind of see Falcon and the winter soldier, not really working that well together and kind of arguing, which is like we mentioned, they're going to need to get better at, and they probably will as the series develops. And we don't know where Zemo is during this time. And so Peter, I have a question for you. When you were watching this for the first time, did you think of Zemo's gone? He said later, or did you think he was, what did you think was going to happen? I think because I'm so conflicted the entire time he's on screen, I'm like, is he going to stay with them? Is he going to betray them? I, part of me was like, he's gone. And I was like, okay, so this is going to lead to his being a villain. I did not expect what happened next to happen. Mm-hmm. And it was my favorite moment ever on Disney+. Plus. Um, <laughs> basically, Zemo shows up on a crate behind everyone with the Zemo purple mask from the comic books. He shoots some pipe that makes all this stuff explode with fire. 
And then he jumps down and is just remember, he is a special ops military dude back. That's what we knew about him in Civil War. Yes, he is a baron, but he's still very gnarly. And he shows off that and he beats the crap out of all those bounty hunters. And then he is able to uh, take Sam and Bucky away in some car he finds. But before that happened, we saw Bucky pick up a pipe and throw it through someone. Which was awesome. Shout out to a friend of the program, Dustin Morgan. He tweeted something about that, and I loved that. Um, and, oh, we got to mention really quickly, because we kind of passed this up. The greatest gif of all time, Peter, <laughs> is Zemo dancing at the art so show. So great. So, so great. I, I just don't think anything will ever beat it. I, it's just, it just has a life of its own, and it kind of just humanizes this gnarly character in a way that is, again... <laughs> what these shows are doing. They're creating such depth to these characters that we thought we knew and we're like, our opinions about them were held fast and now it's like, nope. Like, yep. I mean, just even when he showed up with the card too to like get Sam and Bucky and Sharon was just like, it's just got so much swag. Like, yeah, the coat, it everything. It's, uh, the way they've adopted his, uh, or adapted his uh, comic books look and changed it a little bit to make it a little more modern. It's one of the best examples I've seen in the MCU of them doing that. Um, and so Sharon tells them that she's going to stay back. And she says that she's not going back. Get And she tells Sam, like, hey, get me that pardon. And then here is the big red flag, Peter, for Sharon being the power broker, is that she is picked up basically right after this by some woman in a car. And she tells her that we have a big problem. Actually, a couple of them. I'll tell you in the car. Come on. That is the big, that is the big, like, red red flag that hey she might be the power broker don't you think that was the biggest one for me yes okay so as we initially yes that was my red flag power broker connection but as you said it now it's almost like if we go with the theory that she's either like in deep cover or you know she's working against the power broker while like through through the inside Mm -hmm. then that would be like she knows that they're a problem and they're jeopardizing what she's trying to do and her mm-hmm. trying to take down the power broker. So it could go either way. It could go. She's trying to take down the power broker and they're now a problem or she is the power broker and they're a problem. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about, and I really don't want this to be true is what we saw at the end of WandaVision, right? We had the two, like who we thought were FBI or CIA agents. They ended up being scrolls, right? The one of them was, I would be really bummed if this that scene was two scrolls meeting up together, like if Sharon Carter was a scroll and that other one was another scroll coming to meet up, similar to how it end, happened at the end of Far From Home with uh, Nick Fury and um, Maria Hill, and then obviously at the end of WandaVision. I, I know scrolls are coming. I just think it's an easy way to like kind of like cheat in storytelling, if that makes sense. Um, but I do think, unfortunately, that is a possibility. I think that would disappoint me more than uh, Quicksilver, Ugh. if that's possible. Just because it would, it would. We've it would given we're giving this character a fresh reboot, uh, completely dope fighting sequences, all this mysterious backstory. Then to say, "Psych, we're gonna go squirrel," I would just be like, "You're trying my patience beyond yeah, what I would it, want." It, to. It, like, it would just be a waste. It would be a it's waste like, of this great Sharon Carter character, this personality exactly. that created Exactly. You have someone that ha- is this role, is, is able to do this role. Why not let that character fully run with it? Like, mm-hmm. I would just... I completely yeah. agree. Um, so now we're going to go check back in with uh, John Walker and Battlestar. And basically, they are going to go 
off the mission, like off the radar, not do exactly what they're supposed to. And they're going after Sam and Bucky because they believe that they broke Zemo out of prison. Um, what did you think about that? That that for me was like, OK, we're getting Walker versus um, Bucky because of this other scene that we're going to get in a second. Yeah, I, I was I was happy. I was happy because I want him to get just like beat up and like I want him to lose. So I was mm-hmm. ecstatic that they were like leaning into him, you know, not being this good guy. I was very happy about that. Yeah. Obviously, but um, so we catch up back with Sam and Bucky and they're on the plane and Sam's talking about all the pain shield has caused from Isaiah Bradley to what happened to Sharon Carter and so forth. And he says that maybe he shouldn't have turned it in. He maybe should have destroyed it. And this really strikes a chord with Bucky. And he Bucky says that that shield means a lot to a lot of people, including him. And it's done a lot of good. And that if Sam is going to destroy it, Bucky's going to go take it from John Walker before. So that's Bucky saying, Hey dude, I know this has been complicated for you wanting to be Captain America, but you're not going to throw this away. I care too much about this. If you're not going to do it to uphold Steve's legacy, then I am. And I did like to see that from Bucky. Yeah, I think, again, it shows because, again, they have different histories with Steve. They knew him in different points in time. They had their own connection to him. So I think it it is kind of nice that while they do work together, there is still that line of, like, respect where, where Bucky's still like no I, it still means a lot to me and you can't just throw away all of that for the stuff that's not so great mm-hmm. Can I, I'm going to throw a theory at you right now so um, let's say I don't know if this is possible but let's say that John Walker hasn't taken the super soldier serum yet okay and do you recall from the trailers that we did see Sam and Bucky flinging the shield around okay, okay so this is uh, this is just too funny because I'm literally thinking of that scene as we're having this conversation, how we haven't seen that scene yet. And like, when is that scene going to come? And then you ask me about that scene. Yeah. So, yes, so fully aware of that. So let's say, cause Bucky talks about how he's going to go take it from John Walker. He does not think that John Walker should have it. So what if theoretically in the, one of the next two episodes, we see Walker and Bucky face off and Bucky, because he is a super soldier beats the crap out of John Walker and takes the shield and then Sam and Bucky have the shield and we see that them practicing with it and then what that causes is because John Walker gets his ass kicked he then goes and takes the super soldier serum to go fight Bucky for maybe the climactic ending I like it I would I would yeah I will endorse that theory I like right. that theory I Let's like go. it I want it. I want to know whose house that is that they're going to go do it at um maybe it's just Sam's house I don't know but um mm-hmm. I'm I'm into that theory yeah, because, well, it would be cool to see um, Sam's nephews interacting with Bucky. I got to say, the, the idea of Winter, the Winter Soldier interacting with children, like if they were to go to Sam's family home and practice with the shield, I just think that that would be hilarious, the emotionless Bucky talking to, like, funny kids, you know? Like, well, there the, is a scene in the age. trailer where they are interacting, so we know that it's... Oh, so it is, yeah, so... I completely forgot that, so that's good, that's good. Um, okay. And we have a couple more things that happen in this episode. We do see the Flag Smashers. They're stealing stuff from some sort of um, base or whatever. And they're taking it because they say more people need it. Like, there's people who are less fortunate. And um, we see Carly Morgenthau cross a line for the first time. One that I don't know if you can really go back on. Um, she blows up the building. There's people inside there that who are innocent. And she kind of... Uh, like makes an excuse for herself to do it because it's like it's the only way we can get attention. So I thought that was a pivotal moment for the Flag Smashers and Carly Morgenthau. 
And before I ask you what you think about it, I just want to say the Flag Smashers are the most boring thing of all time. I love this show, and this is my favorite Disney Plus show probably so far. I just don't give a crap about the Flag Smashers. Am I wrong? So to answer the first point, um, up until the so I was watching you know that Flag Smasher scene mm-hmm. when they're taking everything, and I was like, oh, you know, they're kind of on the right, got the right, their hearts in the right place. They want to help people. It's kind of Robin yeah. Hood esque. Mm-hmm. And then Homegirl just goes and kills them all in cold blood. And I was like, like a Joker blowing up the Gotham Hospital exactly. type Exactly. And I was like, okay, so now she's starting to, she's, her, her perspective is skewed. And we're mm-hmm. saying, you know, she really is a bad guy. When you said that, you know, that the Flag Smashers, you know, it made me think of back to WandaVision because that's basically what we can compare it to. I never felt like when we left the main story of WandaVision, we, I was bored. I never felt like there was, it wasn't up to the same level. So for the you know, like Hayward and stuff. Yeah. Like I never felt like totally like I agree. I'm bored. It was still feeding the main storyline because we've got the power broker also going on. I feel like there's a little bit too much on the plate Yeah. and the flag smashers. I don't excuse me, care enough about them. Like I understand that it feeds the whole storyline post blip. Like I understand it. Do I need it? Not necessarily. Because, again, we've got, what, four different storylines maybe going on at the same time? Not even that. I think we have more. But we have – think about it, Peter. We have four antagonists in a certain way. You have John Walker. You have um, the Flag Smashers. You have Zemo, who has been released. And then you have also what I would say is like the U.S. government in a way. I might be forgetting another one that – off the top of my head. Well, but Power in, Broker's another one. No, the one. Power Broker. So so and then f- the introduction at the very end of the episode of a sixth storyline. So it's mm-hmm. like, plus you've got the whole Sam storyline with his family. We've got Bucky's therapy. We've got, there's a lot. Go- we thought WandaVision was a lot going on. This is a lot going on. Yeah. And the, the, naturally, I guess the Flag Smashers just take a backseat to all that because I care way more about that other stuff. Um, and so... We know, though, that Zemo, Bucky, and Sam, they're going after Carly Morgenthau. They found they knew that the Danya Medini had some sort of connection, and they find out that she died. But they're going after her, and um, we quickly get a scene of Zemo talking about Sokovia and his neighbors. And what did he say? You described it better than I did. That they, cannib- they essentially cannibalized upon it. Mm-hmm. He even mentions, too, if they've gone to visit the memorial, which we've seen in the trailers, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen yet in the show. Peter, I think it's safe to say that uh, one of those countries surrounding Sokovia could be Latveria, which could be Dr. Doom. What do you think about that? I would be thrilled. I would be hyped. I mean, there was, I'm, yeah, I'm, I want Fantastic Four so bad, so I'm, I'm hyped. I want it to be, I, more than the mutants, I think I want Fantastic Four, which is a hard one, for, hard statement to make. But I just, I'm with that you. could be done so well. And I feel like that's an interesting, I feel like that could be an interesting way to bring it in slowly and kind of show us what's going on. A Doctor Doom-Zemo rivalry would be unbelievably fascinating as well. Unless they were, I mean, I guess it's possible too that they would fuse the character into one though. That would be a lot. That would be a lot. We'll see. Maybe, maybe. Um, One other thing that wraps up this episode is Bucky sees these like Wakandan type beads or balls things on the ground and so he slowly follows it and we see a member of the dora milaje 
and she is here for Zemo. We remember hearing Falcon reference this earlier in the episode. Do you remember what Zemo did? He killed King T'Chaka. He bombed the UN. Do you think Wakanda has forgotten about it? Newsflash, no, they haven't. And we get confirmation of this right here at the end of the episode. Um, Peter, what do you think the Wakandans, the Dora Milaje's role will be in this series? Do you think they will trust Bucky once Bucky explains himself? Or do you think they're just going to go straight for Zemo and Bucky might have to be in some sort of conflict? Well, I liked that it was, I think her name is Ao. I think is yeah, her name. Yeah, Ao. That came because she was originally in um, Civil War. They're so good at this stuff. Civil War. So, mm. because again, that's a nice, it's not, you're not bringing the main, you're bringing the second in command. And you're connecting another movie back in very organically. I, I freaked out when the when I saw the little circles because I knew it was Wakanda. I just was so mm-hmm. ready. And so I think that they will believe Bucky because Bucky has that relationship with them. So that's already a step. Like he's known, he was the, the white, white wolf. wolf. White wolf. So I think they'll believe him, but Zemo killed the king. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's pretty, that's a hard line that they're going to have to figure out what's going to happen. So I don't know if he's going to, I feel like it will bleed into Black Panther 2, which is in development. So, if, And I love that, too, about these movies, because this is what they do so well that DC does not. Like, no shade to DC, but, like, I guess shade to DC. Well, yeah, because shame. they all operate collaboratively in a way that everyone's aware of what's going on when it's relevant to their storyline. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see the introduction of Wakanda. Are we going to get some Wakanda fighters show up in to fight, you know, some of these super soldiers? Because right now we've got... 20 vials of the super soldier serum and i think mm-hmm. 10 have taken them or is it seven it's eight eight it was close yeah you were so, um yeah that, that, I, I think that's a great point um one thing that i'm pretty like dead set on is that i think bucky will he's he's been fighting for his whole life he always says this he's never had a break the one time in his life where he's been peaceful has been when he was in wakanda i see bucky's end game being retiring in Wakanda and helping them out there. I think Bucky's going to be in Black Panther 2. I do see that relate. I think that's where Bucky will head eventually. That's what I would say. I like that because, again, we are Black Panther 2 does have to fill a massive void in it. So I'm curious to see if that's the, the course they choose to take. Because, I mean, Marvel does have the giant toy box of being able to pluck people from different movies to put them into where they see fit in a very organic way. I'm curious to see how that's going to play out because I feel like I said Zemo could show up in Black Panther 2 as well. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious. I feel like even the Power Broker could bleed into Black Panther 2. The Power Broker could be the the guy from Ant-Man 2, like what, whatever it's called, like the, the dude who's paying Sonny Birch. Yes. Theoretically, but I mean, that would be crazy if that was Sharon Carter. That's where it gets kind of like, I don't know. But... We will see. Last question of the pod. We've been teased that there will be a mystery cameo that would work well with Thor in episode five. So let's not get our hopes up too crazy with these mystery cameo declarations by Disney+. Plus. Um, so this character is um, said to work well with Thor, more Earth-based. Um, so I will give a prediction, and I'm going to give a very mild prediction. Not anything crazy. I will say that it will be Thunderbolt Ross. Yes, we've already seen Thunderbolt Ross, but I think this cameo, one, Thunderbolt Ross and Thor have never interacted in the history of the MCU. Not once. And I think what we're going to see from Thunderbolt Ross in Falcon and Winter Soldier and in the Black Widow movie is maybe a new type of um, 
new type of style, new attitude a little, maybe more angry, similar to how we saw Sharon Carter develop. Maybe the same with Thunderbolt Ross. So I'll say that as my guess because I'm trying to keep expectations low. What do you think, Peter? My guess, based on my thought process of hearing, of hearing reading that interview, of, of looking online and whatnot, I feel like it's going to be She-Hulk. I feel like because that is a coming series for Disney Plus, and this, this show is supposed to, supposedly, everything is supposedly, it's going to launch three, uh, three to four yep. other Disney plus Marvel properties. So in a sense, I could see maybe She-Hulk, because if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, She-Hulk is a lawyer, correct? Yeah, well, and She-Hulk is also a super soldier serum related. So I feel like that bleeds in perfectly to the fact that I think they're going to have to need a lawyer at some point. Based Ooh. on what we're seeing, I feel like it's, a, it's a, and again, would work well with Thor because Hulk worked well with Thor. So I feel like mm-hmm. those things do line up. I mean, that would be so I'm cool. curious. That would be cool. I mean, now we're talking about lawyers. You know, it just popped up in my head is a uh, um, freaking daredevil. Because Matt Murdock is rumored to be in Spider-Man 3. so Everybody's knows? rumored to be in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. I'm so I mean, I heard that the pineapple couch was, be, was rumored to be in Spider-Man 3. You know, That's I how many people <laughs> you know. Um, Peter, do we have anything else on episode 3, the halfway point of uh, this great show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I think the halfway point is a very solid way to leave us in a halfway point. Because I think one and two really built to episode three in a sense that we've built, we're starting to world build. It's definitely giving me the desire to travel when we're bouncing around so quickly to yeah. all these different places. I'm curious to see. We also forgot about Torres. Torres was just briefly alluded to this episode mm-hmm. when they called he's him up, but he's still a character that we've got going on. And um, also, um, I totally just remembered Homeboy from the first episode. Um, Rody? N- well, not Rody, the bad guy. Um, the guy that they had to rescue the guy from. Oh, uh, uh, Judge, uh, ba, 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 Batrock mm. the Leaper. There we go. Batrock. Yes. Batrock. <laughs> so it's like we have a lot of characters to go, and we got three episodes, which is interesting because these are, I mean, it's obviously the same amount of content as WandaVision. Mm-hmm. But again, that's a lot to cram into three yeah. episodes. It's the same i unfortunately the same sort of feeling going into the end of this it's just like how are they going to wrap all this up wandavision it was not perfect but they did a good job it was a great show so i'm very curious to see how they will how they will wrap this up but i do expect to see a lot of loose ends regarding like a zemo regarding a lot of this stuff i do think that we'll see some loose ends especially with like maybe wakanda and bucky i don't know yeah, I think that in order for it to... Because, again, this show is another one that they said potentially... They, they wouldn't confirm that it wouldn't have a second season because they can't confirm that it wouldn't have a second season. I could and see this so, having a second season. I feel like this this show would work well in between um, different films as well to kind of be the bridge to connect things. Yeah, I love this. This is so great. Um, all right, that's episode three. Three more. We'll be back next week. Uh, thank you guys for listening. You can always check us out on YouTube as well. Hit the subscribe. Leave a five-star review. Leave a question about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and me and Peter will answer it. Peter, always a pleasure having you on, and have a great rest of your day. You too. I'm super excited for the next one. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time.
Thank you.